Hey, um, it truly is great to be back meeting as a family together again, isn't it? Just really appreciate it. And, um, um, <clears throat> and just as I start, personally, um, I just want to thank you for the support I've had to receive this week since events um, of last week with Murray. I've so appreciated the texts and the emails that have come my way, and I've really felt supported in prayer over the week. And I just want to thank you. It's great to be part of a community that does that. Um, just in relation to Murray, his girls hit the country yesterday from Australia and they're now doing the 14-day quarantine in Auckland. So the funeral is likely to be in the week of the 29th and 30th of June. Um, yeah. But uh, just in part of that, as you know, you may have heard that Jen Tyson has organised a walk, a memorial walk, um, this afternoon up Cannons Point, which was a, a frequent haunt of Murray's. And um, so we're meeting at the car park that is over the road from the Latter-day Saints Church there, if that's, um, yeah, if you can get along, it'd be great, we'll be there. <clears throat> um, I was sitting at my table on Friday, um, I was working on this sermon um, when the phone rang, and the caller identified himself as so-and-so, I can't remember his name, from the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they were ringing around the community to see how people were doing. Did anyone else get a call? Was it, yeah, you did. Um, wasn't that a fantastic thing they did? I thought, that's great. So we, you rang off and I just reflected and thought, it's a good thing to do in these times because, as it has been for most of us, these, these are unprecedented times. Perhaps some of the, the older, the more elderly amongst us have been through times like this before, but for us it's unprecedented. And there is great uncertainty, um, at least in the short term. Um, and while we have the enormous blessing, and it really is, of being totally free of COVID-19, the world is still wildly awash with it, and, and they're at the crazy place of trying to control it or trying to save their economies from collapse as well. You know, and while we are free of it, um, we are still in the next stage of salvaging our economy, and we know that's just not going to be easy. For example, you know, 10% of the workforce were involved in the um, tourist industry and related industries to it. Um, and we're now looking at the ripples of the decreased amount of spending as it goes throughout the economy and what's going to happen. And we, we don't know how the adjustments are going to play out, but we know it's not going to be a quick fix and it's not going to be easy. We do have the luxury, of course, of being able to focus on it with minimal risk of having to factor in the virus. Um, I'm a bit of a stats geek, um, and I spend time, you know, you sit on, uh, clicking on the individual countries, um, looking to see how the curve is flattening, actually, if it's flattening at all. And um, Najid, the Colombian girl who stayed with us during lockdown, she's watching her country, Colombia, and actually many South African, uh, South African, South American countries, whose graphs are actually still steeply rising. You know, few countries' graphs are flattening at this point. Um, and hasn't God blessed our country in that in 75 days we're free of it? That's amazing. Why does he do it to us? We, we actually don't know why does his blessing, but I'm just incredibly grateful um, that we have that. In the midst of all that turmoil, we've had the awful George Floyd incident and the huge and the international response to that, um, flashes of anarchy on the screen destroying um, vehicles and looting and those things. Um, the re-emergence of racism and the re-realisation that some of it is still very prevalent in the world, sitting under quite a thin veneer. <clears throat> and we're watching statues of once revered people being pulled down and destroyed 
as the darker and destructive sides of their character is now being revealed. And this has come to New Zealand. Um, I lived in Hamilton for eight years. On Saturday, was it Friday, the statue of, of Hamilton was pulled down because apparently he wasn't all he said he was. Um, and that the status history has given these people perhaps isn't all it should be. And, um, and while this may well be the right thing to do, in the current environment, it just adds to the uncertainty that's going on. Um, another thing in the midst of all this um, is the conspiracy theories that are, that are going around as to how COVID really got here and that many Christians are exploring stories that has been put there by stealth as a precursor to cashless societies, um, COVID vaccines that are going to have the mark in them and all those sorts of things. Um, and that's very real in the Christian world as well. And for us, along with that, we've, as a church community, we're feeling just pretty raw and bruised right now. There's tons happening, isn't there? Tons. So what should we do in the face of all this? Because often we feel helpless as events take place around us that we actually have no control over. How do we respond? And I went to Scripture to see if I could find a sort of a parallel or an equivalent story that could relate to today's situation. And I came to the book of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. Now, I know we know the story well, but I do think it has some application for us. Um, Nehemiah was faced with a wreckage. Jerusalem was in ruins, and he sets out to rebuild the wall. And almost immediately as he does, the opposition from the foreign people living in the area and around Jerusalem, it begins immediately. Just some references in chapter 2, 19, verse 19. Sanballat and Tobiah mocked us and accused us of rebelling against the king under whose control the Israelites were. Chapter 4, 1. Sanballat was angry and incensed. He mocked the work again, calling it pitiful when a fox could knock it over. Chapter 4, 7. They came together to plot and to fight against us. Chapter 4, verse 10, there's internal issues for Nehemiah. The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there was some disenchantment setting in. You know, there's just too much rubble. The, the task is huge. Uh, chapter 4, verse 11, um, more, more threats to sneak up at night and kill the people. Chapter 5, <clears throat> goes on. There's more eternal problems with food imbalances amongst the Jews and the lending to each other and charging wrong... Uh, levels of interest in those things. Um, yeah. Right. You need, you need to go out to the hub and, and you, there's a fine for you, Peter, for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a fine, man. Yeah. Um, next, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Sambalat's invitation um, to come and talk about it. There were four letters, and Nehemiah knows that if he goes down there, they're actually going to bump him off. Um, Chapter 6, verse 5 is Sambalat's letter to the king to say, look, the Jews are planning, they're rebuilding the place, they're planning to revolt against them, rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah, you better come down and discuss that. And then lastly, in chapter 10, the threat that by night they're just coming to, gonna, gonna come and kill him anyway. You know, the book of Nehemiah is held up as a great model for successful leadership and problem solving, and it is. But what, what I kind of want to show as being applicable today is the fact that each situation was like another set of bad news on top of the last. Each was intended to shake confidence, uh, to try and cause them to lose hope, to become overwhelmed or discouraged by threats or bad reports, 
threats for physical harm, threats to spread rumours that he was preparing to mutiny against the king, that he was seeking his own power, and, to say, and also you know, just to say there's no future in what he's doing. One of the features of the book of Nehemiah is there's no sovereign move of God to get rid of the enemies. Nehemiah simply prayed and kept going, using his skills to deal with what was in front of him as best as he could. He was real and he was trusting. And just some examples of that. <clears throat> you may recall that at the start of the book, Nehemiah was terrified to go to the king and say, look, I'd like to go back and, and fix up the place that, uh, that you knocked over, which is what you normally do when you come and capture a city and take it into exile. So he prayed and uh, got the king's permission. In chapter 4-4, four, four, when the opposition's coming on, he prayed, Lord, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their own insults back on their own heads. Chapter 4, verse 9, we, we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night against the threat. Chapter 4, verse 14, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families. It's going to be a rich day. Another fine. <laughs> chapter 6, I prayed, Lord, now strengthen my hands. And then chapter 6, verse 16, when the enemies heard that the work was completed, they lost heart because they realized the work had been done with the help of our God. Nehemiah simply prayed and kept going, using his skills to deal with what was in front of him as best as he could. And I thought that Jen brought that out brilliantly last week. She did so well. She talked about going to her tree in Barton's bush, taking there the bad news each time, bringing it before the Lord, and she would leave there confident of God's support and using her skills as best she could. Well done, Jen. I thought that was a great point. <coughs> it's at times like these, <clears throat> that as we're going forward, and actually... Yes, sorry, I did mean to say that I talked about it being level one and beyond. I didn't want to put the word COVID in there, and I know that in a couple of years we see level one and beyond, we, we may wonder what it is. But you know, we are in level one and we're moving beyond. And it is, and it's going to be rocky, and it's in times like these that we need to plug into the word of God, and particularly a lot of those well-known passages like those in, such as in Proverbs 4, 23 to 27. Above all else... Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to your ways. Um, for, sorry, give careful thoughts to the path for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn from the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. And I wanted to just sort of bracket with that um, the well-known verse from Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, uh, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, because we're going to need to. It's in times like these, when so much is happening in the world, and the huge degree of uncertainty it's when our minds and our thoughts become really difficult to rein in. We need to work on it. Guard your heart. Guard the input that comes into your mind um, because we know the mouth speaks what the, the mind or the heart is full of. One of the guards um, I wanted to suggest that will be really useful 
is to limit the amount of news bulletins that you watch and listen to, or how you listen to them. Not only is most of it bad, but much of it, I find, is delivered in a way, in a tone that's adversarial and divisive. Small things are taken and blown up in such a way that the person who actually made that original comment is deemed to be incompetent for the role they are filling. That's where it gets to. A wrong comment off the cuff is dissected by a reporter who has the luxury of time to filter it through a perfect lens to show us it was wrong in a way that is worrying. You know, Paul Goldsmith about comment about Jacinda sticking to the knitting, that was a dumb thing to say. But it did, did it need to be dissected through the media for two days? Yeah. The sort of thing, you know, that Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, <clears throat> was compelled to apologise for wearing a black face at a high school talent quest and darkened face, neck and hands at an Arabian night costume party. <clears throat> As a result, he clearly has endemic racial issues. He was making fun <clears throat> of dark or coloured people and clearly he's not fit to be a Prime Minister. And these things are actually also presented often with an emotional bent, that someone goes and interviews a potential injured party to further highlight the insensitivity that that remark showed. You know, and unless we're careful, <clears throat> we can get drawn into things by the emotion or the injustice that's portrayed. Um, just as an aside, one thing that I really admired about Ashley Bloomfield, I felt he excelled in this. Most of the times when he was challenged by reporters who seemed to question him like vultures swooping for the kill. He acknowledged mistakes by a phrase something along the lines of, as we receive further information, we're continually reassessing our processes and making improvements. How isn't that superb here? So I encourage you to watch and get the guts of the news, but to give the rest a wide berth, because the media presents things powerfully, negatively, and playing on our emotions. And I'd like to say that actually should social media be given an even wider berth. Um, I'm not a big user, but you know, if I often read blogs, or when I read blogs or comments on articles, um, the bluntness and the venom is just horrendous. And you think, gosh, what are people thinking? Yeah. I do encourage you to look or to seek out good news. Because amid all the disturbing things around us, there are some good things happening. Did you know that there's been 3,000 new companies registered in April as those, who, as those who are entrepreneurial are looking for new opportunities in this new environment? So on the news last night, the Manuka Honey Company in the Wairapa, <clears throat> which apparently is just judged to have the best Manuka honey in the world, it's got a rating, I think it was at 61, whereas normal, normal is about, it's the best in the world, and it sells at Harrods for $2,500 a jar. <laughs> yeah, they're booming, they're absolutely booming, yeah. because people are looking for products that may give them immunity against it. And I, I did see that other beekeepers are booming, Taranaki and all that, but this was just amazing. <clears throat> did you know <clears throat> that the new commissioner of police is a committed Christian. And the stuff, the stuff reporter in the article said, you get a strong sense that Andrew Costa has the courage of his convictions. His palpable confidence comes from God. His faith is tremendously important to him. As he says, it gives me a real strength to do what I believe is right. So good. Yeah. <clears throat> 
And there are other green shoots we can pick up on. You know, isn't it great to hear that Kmart is saying, reaching out to the warehouse employees, saying, come and work for us. You know, it's just great to see even the, the new things of the dock employees working at ridding the country of what this particular brand of pine tree is. It's a, it's a weed or noxious. Yeah. You know, they're small things, but it means we're moving forward. Yeah. But I also encourage you to look in other areas for good news as well, uh, for stuff that's uplifting and inspiring. Firstly, and you can never go past it, the Bible. The Word of God. God speaks His hope and His love and His support continually through the Word. It is and He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Yeah. Books and testimonies of what God has done that are uplifting. Um, I've just finished uh, reading a book by Philip Yancey, and as some of you may know, he actually specialises in exploring hope and seeing God in really gritty and difficult circumstances. He went into the Columbine, he's asked to speak at Columbine a massacre, and a number of those things to go and speak in those ways. Um, in his book, Disappearing Grace, the one I've just read, <clears throat> he paraphrases the story of a woman called Rosaria Butterford, which I'd just like to share with you. Rosaria described herself as her younger self as a leftist lesbian professor who despised Christians. She was a professor of English and women's studies and she cared deeply about morality, justice and compassion. For guidance, she looked to Freud, Hegel, Marx, Darwin and not to Jesus, mainly because of a zealous band of warriors. But while researching the religious right and their politics of hatred against queers like me, she forced herself to read the Bible, the, the source that, in her opinion, had led so many off track. And she published a critical article to the, in the no, local newspaper about the organisation Promise Keepers and proceeded to file away the response letters in two boxes, one for hate mail, one for fan mail. One letter she got, though, fitted neither box. In a kind and inquiring spirit, a Presbyterian pastor <clears throat> encouraged her to explore her conclusions further. How did she arrive at them? On what basis did she decide her moral convictions? After first throwing the letter away, she fished it out of the recycle bin. Eventually, she accepted the pastor's invitation to dinner, and over the next two years, became friends with Ken, Pastor Ken and his wife, Floyd. She said, they entered my world, they met my friends, we did book exchanges, we talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them, they did not treat me like a blank slate. Butterfield continued to read the Bible in multiple translations. Finally, she found herself in the pew of that pastor's church, feeling really conspicuous about her butch haircut. Then one day, I came to Jesus, open-handed and naked. In this war of worldviews, Ken was there, Floyd was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang, sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. That's incredibly uplifting to me. Do you find it like that? It gets you there. These are the things. In the midst of things, read these things. You know, I love these stories. The love and the graciousness of God. The gentle way he met her. 
um, through two loving people who have prepared to reach across to her world. And I have no doubt that in the course of those two years were tons of venom in her anger as she got rid of it all. It's, and it also says to me, out there there is no heart that is too hard to be saved. Um, or Richard Wormbrand's story. Um, many of you will have come across his book, Tortured for Christ, and I received an email, <clears throat> a random email over, over the time, over the COVID time, about the book having been made into a movie. Um, and I watched it. It wasn't too graphic, which was great. But he was a Romanian minister who was arrested for his opposition to communism in 1948. Between then and 1964, he spent 14 years in prison with no light or windows. The cell, it was complete solitary confinement. The cell was actually 12 feet underground. He was asked how he kept his mind during this night, during this time, <coughs> excuse me, and he said that every night he composed a new and complete sermon. Many of them he remembered in full, and there's a book out there, and I've actually got a copy of it, called Sermons from Prison. That inspires me. He kept his focus on God and the goodness of God, and he was in an environment where there was actually no evidence of God at all. In fact, so much the reverse. That's great. I've got one more. Sorry, stories while I go. But <clears throat> Jeanette and I have been watching David Lomas for some years. I'm sure more of you will be familiar with that. The current series is called David Lomas Investigates, and before that it was lost and found, before that lost. <clears throat> we enjoy it because they are stories of redemption. Um, such as an adopted child searching for the father or mother <clears throat> they never knew, or a parent whose child was adopted because they were a very young mother or father. And often the stories relate to the times, to the days, when adoption was a categor categorical cut-off between parent and child forever. A couple of weeks back, <clears throat> the story was about a son and a sibling named Filippo. He was Tokelauan, born into a Catholic family where there was still that strong desire and expectation where one of the boys would become a priest or one of the daughters a nun. And Filippo decided to take up the call and in 1990, at age 19, uh, left the island of Tokelau, population 800, for Rome, 2 million. No Italian, no nothing. The culture shock was enormous. Um, uh, and he, yeah, as I say, he didn't know that he knew nothing. He actually went with another Tokelauan boy uh, who was promptly shipped back home when he, actually, when he went to Filippo's aid when he encountered a bit of, bit of bullying. In 1993, Filippo decided the call to be a priest wasn't for him, and he left. But he was too ashamed to go back home to his family, so he stayed in Italy. He wrote occasionally to the family, and at one stage told them that he'd, he'd, he told them he'd left the priesthood, he had met a woman and uh, had a child. But after they were killed in a car accident, he stopped contact with the family completely. And they didn't hear from him for 25 years, but they prayed daily to meet up with him again. So the family approached Lomas. How do you find a random person in Italy? Is he actually even still in Italy? Um, it's actually a fascinating watch, and you can see a TV on demand, so I won't tell you at all. But I want to tell you at the end... The, um, the uh, scene of Filippo meeting the sister is really quite moving. Yeah. 
Um, and it's, he found him. And, uh, you know, but it's a story of persistent prayer by the family, and the tracking down of Filippo really is quite miraculous. You know, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think on these things. Yeah. Um, I do want to say a brief word about conspiracy theories. And the internet and social media are abounding in sinister theories that COVID has been orchestrated as a means of gaining control of us by stealth, all the things of cashless societies, one world government, COVID vaccines that are going to have the mark in it or, um, or you, you're going to have to have it to take it and all those sort of things. And part of me says straight off, you know, <clears throat> does it really matter? I mean, the Bible does say to us, look, be aware of the times. <clears throat> but at the, the end of things as they come is still only going to happen as God allows it. And it seems to me that some Christians seem to get really preoccupied with the secret sabotage out there, and it's got to be uncovered. Um, and what really bothers me about it mostly is that all it really does is it fills them with alarm. Um, you know, I have a friend who sent me a YouTube clip about the 5G as being the cause of it. <clears throat> and after that was debunked, he sent me another one and said, well, okay, what about this one? Um, and it was a totally different scenario of how it came about. <clears throat> And Paul's problem is that he's just constantly kicking them around in his head and, with, and he's thinking with angst against the perpetrators. But it seems to stay as angst. And I said to him, look, Paul, you actually, you, you may be right. You may actually have stumbled on it. You, may, you have the right one. It is going to play out one way or another. But God hasn't missed a trick here. There's really nothing happening there. <clears throat> Our place in God is settled and while in times we'll have some troubling times that cannot cause, cause alarm and fear, I just say, you know, ask God, pray to God that, you know, that he will ready you for whatever happens and when it happens so that you can stand tall um, should it happen in our lifetime. I mean, personally, I, I, I can't wait for the world to be freed from his evil in every form that's got. But if Jesus comes tomorrow, I want, to, want him to find me at my post um, carrying out the tasks and the circumstances that I'm in, you know, as an employee, father, grandfather, friend, using my gifts and ministries. That's what I'm, you know, that's how I'll be, in the sense, preparing. But I do say, if you're worried, get together with others and talk it through. Um, Bruce Billington is well-researched in this area, and he'd love to talk to you if you had any issue in it. This leads me, <clears throat> I'll keep it, this leads me to the second thing, <clears throat> And partly this is where um, the, the All Blacks and the Scrum thing um, of as we're going forward, um, what we're going to need to do to get our hearts and minds and, and well-being. And that is we're going to need to rally together. Um, there are really difficult times ahead and we're going to need each other. And, you know, that's, and, the, fact that, and the fact that we do, that we are going to need, is a good thing. Um, and some of this has already been, has started in lockdown, <clears throat> and that's great. You know, there's going to be times when people are really anxious and worried. There's going to be people in financial difficulty, and, there's going, and possibly also relationship difficulty. And people in these times become more susceptible to temptation and particular weaknesses that they battle with. We're going to need to be aware to look out for each other. And you know, here, this is, this is Lane Park Community. We're a people 
who are at different stages in our walks, our Christian maturity, um, our natures, our circumstances. You know, we each do life according to our situations. Um, uh, um, yeah. And we all have a different place in the body, the eye, the ear, the foot, and all those. You know, we're diverse, and we react to things differently as well. Um, one of the first things I um, just want to reassure you with, it's that it's actually okay to feel troubled and worried in circumstances you're facing. You know, yours or your relatives, your friends, your neighbours, their circumstances. Um, I do think that Christians have moved on from the premise that to be worried and concerned about things is wrong, that in some way it means they're out of step, and that's a really good thing. Um, you know, because one thing with God is actually our problems and issues are potential for growth. But there's absolutely no shame in coming to somebody and saying, I feel weak. You know, we're going to need to band together so that those who are stronger in faith can help the weaker and vice versa. Because we all have times of weakness, all of us. You know, I needed help this week. People prayed for me. I needed that. People sent me texts and emails. I needed them. Um, I sought out and spoke to a couple of people. I needed to. And I know just with that that many of you have sought out people to talk to in regards to, to last weekend. And my prayer is that, um, that each one of you would have the courage to overcome the stigma or the shyness, the sense of humiliation that we feel that makes it a barrier to asking people for help. I know it's not easy, but it is in vulnerability that, that burdens are shared, yokes are lifted, love and compassion ministered, strongholds are broken, and freedom is gained. Go for it. You know, you know, this is something I actually think the pillars do really well. Many of them have an honesty with each other that's really admirable. They pray for each other. They talk about their weaknesses and doubts and their fears to their health, their, their spouse's health, their children, their grandchildren, whatever. You know, and in it, they've come to a place where there's no shame. They know many of each other's weaknesses, and they just accept them just as they are. <clears throat> um, the last point I want to raise is, yeah, we're going to need to be in that scrum, is actually when we come out of the scrum, because this situation, because these times <clears throat> that I want to raise is that here is the one great opportunity for these, uh, in these times to convey to others the hope that is the guiding force in our lives. It is the hope that gives us confidence in these circumstances that, oh, sorry, that these circumstances, they're not out of control. It is a hope that's not anchored in possessions and the achievements of this world. Instead, our lives are centered in the one who created it all. It's our relationship with God that helps us walk through these times, even though we are affected by them. We are. <clears throat> it is God who gives us peace as we continue to fix our eyes on him. We're not oblivious to the turbulence, nor are we immune, but in Christ we have someone to commit both the times and the future to. We have an almighty God <clears throat> who has promised to resource us, who invites us to cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for us, who has promised never to leave us or forsake us. You know, let us look for opportunities to serve the God or to share the God we serve and the hope that we have because of him. Yeah. And the last thing we must do is pray. We must pray, pray, pray. We need to pray for this virus to be removed. The damage in the world, as we see, it's catastrophic. 
and the suffering is going to be immense. We must pray about it. Many countries' curves are nowhere near flattening. Nowhere near. We need to pray also that the virus will cause people to turn to God. Pray for that it will do that. Thirdly, we need to pray for our government, that they will have wisdom as they grapple with the many decisions before them. They've got enormous pressure on them. How are they going to give out the money, divvy out the money? What can they do? What's best? What's the best areas to put it into to create new? But I think also we should pray for the people of God in New Zealand to rise up as true beacons of God's, God's love and care to be the salt and light. And pray for yourselves. Pray for God to give you courage and strength to reach out with his love to those people in your world, in your circle. And also pray for each other that God will empower and strengthen our minds, our emotions, our hearts, our souls, and our wills. Let us pray. Can you please stand? God, thank you. Thank you for the prompt eradication of COVID in New Zealand. Again, your hand has been upon us. You have richly blessed us. Why do you do it, Lord? We don't know, but you have. And Lord, we are partakers of that. And Lord, I pray for your people here. Lord, that you'd use us for the next next stage of the journey, for these next few months as the economic situation unfolds. Lord, may we be prayers, encouragers, sacrificial helpers of both each other and the Apart community and beyond as well. Jesus, help us to be salt and light, the bearers of your gospel and your love as we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah. Lastly, is there anyone here who is here today who hasn't met Jesus? Jesus, who is God and who us as followers have come to know and to serve, and you're interested in knowing more about him. Please come and see me after the service. I'd love to introduce him to him. You know, um, we had communion today which you know, to show to you why it is that we love and serve the Jesus who has done so much for us, who died for our sins. And we'd love to talk with you about that more. But um, yeah, so please come and see me. God bless you all. Thank you.